Welcome home to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we will hear Corey Bjertness' second of three sermons in his series on spiritual fitness, which he preached at Mount Carmel in August of 2021. Uh, the scripture text that I chose for this evening uh, comes from 1st, 2nd Peter, uh, and uh, then uh, the Gospel of John, again, same text that we used last night. Instead of doing me reading to you this evening, I'd like us all to read this together. Uh, so uh, his, God's divine power, was given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, be spiritually fit and resilient, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the seventh chapter. Again, let's read this together. On the last day and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Or if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. Who believes in me? As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you that uh, your word provides for us uh, just a rich, rich quenching of our thirst. And Lord, we know uh, that you are that living water. And we pray that it would flow through us. And as we think about and study your word this evening, uh, I pray uh, that uh, we would have a deep and abiding sense of who you are in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've noticed in life that some people have living water flow through them uh, at a higher volume than others. Uh, That it just seems like no matter what happens on the journey of their life, uh, they are undeterred, undeterred. And uh, uh, my uh, mother was one of those souls. Now my mother was, uh, I think, half Irish and half pit bull. Uh, uh, She was an anomaly wrapped in a mystery and shrouded in an enigma. Uh, She could be as tender and soft as anybody you've ever met, uh, and then as hard as nails. And life had made her that way. Uh, There was no question about it. I used to love it when our road grader guy would come. Our road grader guy uh, timed his trip out onto the farm all of the time, 
so that he could have lunch at our house. Because everybody knew that Bonnie Mallum was the best cook in the county. Uh, my mother would complain for four days that Ellsworth would not get lunch anywhere other than at her table. And then she would serve him a seven-course meal and make him feel like he was the most important person that had ever arrived. Uh, my dear mother uh, and I had an interesting relationship, and I think partly because I came during one of the hard periods of our life, her life. Uh, uh, she divorced in the late 50s. Uh, my older brothers and sisters uh, are of one father. I am of another. She fell in love with a married man that was, uh, d- was uh, separated from his wife. Uh, he never, uh, um, she never got a husband out of that deal. He reconciled with his wife, but she got a son out of that deal. 1963, uh, that happened. Uh, and uh, when that happened in 1963 in a small town in America, it really meant something. Uh, she was ostracized. She had good friends that would walk ac- across the road to get away from her so that they didn't have to encounter her. And so sh- she and I were bound spirit and soul. And we had an interesting relationship in the fact that she kind of lived to humble me. Uh, We would exchange barbs and have fun with each other. And because we were one of the only two of the clan that were actually verbal Norwegian Stoic uh, people, uh, we had so much fun with her. So she would say things to me like on my ordination card. uh, She said, uh, Dad and I are very, very, very proud of you. But don't ever forget you're just a farm boy that got a little education. (laughs) And she was just that way. She could be as tender and gracious. If you were sick, you didn't want to be anywhere other than at mom's house. Uh, But if you needed a good kick, oh man, she was talented. When uh, she died, uh, Beverly and I, the day before, were at her bedside. And uh, uh, Beverly was on one side. My mother died of emphysema, a long drawn-out death. Uh, And she was slipping in in and out of uh, coma uh, and she had some clarity the, the, the last uh, day before she died. And uh, Bev was holding her hand on one side, and I'm holding her hand on the other side, and she drew us in like dying people do. And she had something important to say. And we got down there, and all of a sudden that Irish twinkle showed up in her eye, and she looked at Beverly and said, he was nothing before he met you. <laughs> I leaned over and I said, Mom, I love you but I'm standing on your oxygen hose. (laughs) And that's the kind of relation we had. So I never got the truth out of her uh, concerning uh, an event that I had when I was 10 years old. She uh, she was not above uh, not telling the truth for the sake of a good story. Irish again. Uh, uh, When I was 10 years old, I had my first dental appointment. Went to the dentist in New Rockford, North Dakota. And uh, it was uh, Dr. Bachmeyer, and uh, he uh, put in a filling for the first time. First time ever I'd experienced Novocaine. We went uptown after the event, uh, and I'm walking around, and Mom said, would you like a fudge sickle? I said, yeah, I would. That would feel really good. Uh, she said, that would make you feel good. And so I was walking around uptown, and I'm eating a fudge sickle, and I was in the coast-to-coast store in Rockford, and I walked past a mirror. And I had fudge sickle all over my face. I couldn't feel it. And uh, I, I just looked like the biggest dork you have ever seen. And to her dying day, she would not confess she did that to me on purpose, but I know she did. I know she did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, 
as I think about spiritual fitness, uh, it all starts for me uh, that day, being 10 years old in the Coast to Coast store in New Rockford, and it has a lot to do uh, with my mother always pushing us uh, to uh, do good things. Uh, and uh, uh, all spiritual fitness uh, starts out in a mirror. It just does. It starts out in the mirror. Without the mirror, you don't know how you're doing. And unfortunately, you can't walk into the bathroom and look into a mirror and decide whether or not you're spiritually fit. That's not going to work. Uh, that's uh, that's going to uh, tell you if you ate too much at Mount Carmel next week. But it's not going to tell you about your spiritual fitness. But praise be to God, uh, God has given us a mirror. Listen to what James in the first chapter of his uh, wonderful book says. Uh, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do not do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If you look into the mirror of the word of God and the mirror tells you that you've got fudgesickle all over your face or sin all over your soul, James says, you've got to do something about that. Don't just let that ride. And so we cannot be, if we want to be spiritually fit and resilient, an ostrich in the sand or a naked emperor walking through the streets or a dumb kid walking through the coast-to-coast store in New Rockford, North Dakota. God has given us something called the mirror of the scriptures. This is what it's for. Uh, the psalmist will write in Psalm 26, Test me, O Lord, and try me, examine my heart, and my mind, and it is in the presence of the word of God that we are examined, that we are tried, that we are tested. The Hebrews will say, for the word of God, it's living and active. Boy, it really is, isn't it? It does kind of what it wants. I'll never forget, uh, we were uh, doing a, uh, at our sister's wedding, and uh, we had a brother-in-law, uh, it's actually a brother-in-law's brother, uh, that... Uh, uh, came and to, the word of God uh, had went into his heart, and he'd had a reformation. And, to, and and his interpretation of the word of God when I asked him about it was goofy. Didn't make sense. It was ridiculous. It was just weird. But it was the word of God, and it was active, and it was sharper. And even when it's interpreted weirdly, it can change somebody's heart. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this one whom we must give account uses the word of God over and over again. God has put the scriptures everywhere. Have you noticed that? You can't rent a motel room in this country without somebody has supplied you with a Bible. It is everywhere. It has penetrated culture in ways that we don't even see or understand. You cannot become elected president in this country uh, without quoting the Bible a little bit. You, can't, you certainly can't become the governor of the state of Minnesota. Uh, politics has, has said the Bible is a must. One of my favorite stories about the Word of God is in, I believe it was 1883, archaeologists 
uh, moved from Egypt uh, to the Thames River in London, Cleopatra's Needle. It's a 75-foot obelisk. They frankly stole it out of Egypt. It's still there. But when they erected it there, they put a time capsule in the foot of that obelisk. And in that time capsule, they put 213 Bible scripture passages. Actually, it's one Bible scripture passage, John 3.16. And uh, they put it in all 217 known languages at that time. Why? Because they knew that God's word is powerful. It reveals something. And it's a mirror that we have to look in. Spiritually, Fit people understand the necessity of standard and they seek to live obedient lives. And the standard doesn't save us, but nonetheless, we honor it. The Bible is clear. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and not works of the law, but it's still God's law. I am here because I love Jesus. Uh, It's just that simple in the dark night of my life uh, over and over again Christ has showed up and rescued me sometimes from myself Uh, but it's not enough to just simply have romantic notions about Jesus we have to recognize also that being faithful to God is a tremendous amount of work In the book Unchurched, George Bonner tells us this. He says, 82% of those who do not attend church say the reason is that Christians don't do what they say they're going to do. Hypocrites. And their their indictment is pretty clear. They're saying, Christians, do what you say you're going to do. In fact, uh, some of the comments in the large survey they did was almost pleading us to do what we say we're going to do. Be fit enough to be the people of God that you say the people of God are. And we don't do that. On Saturday, I'm going to perform my 340th wedding. Yeah, I'll tell you, when you do that many weddings, not all holy matrimony is holy. That's a lot of weddings. That's a lot of weddings. In uh, 340 weddings, how many weddings do you think that I have done where the couple has not been living together. Six. That's it. Six. I participate in those weddings, and I let them know that, of course I'm going to do your wedding, because who, what kind of pastor would not participate in the repentance of the, some of their clergy? And the repentance of living together is getting married. So yes, I'm going to do that. But we have loosened up the law in all kinds of ways. Not just, I don't want to pick on that one, uh, but uh, people don't expect to follow God's law anymore. It's not any longer the commanding standard of us as people, not even the church. We don't expect people to live according to God's law, but God does. The chief metaphor of the Christian life is not Frank Sinatra singing it, "I I did it my way. The chief metaphor of the Christian life uh, is dead man walking. It is Paul saying, I no longer live, it's Christ who lives within me. I was speaking to a soldier a while back. And the soldier said to me, I just don't feel close to God. And I said, well, uh, do you uh, go to church regularly? No. Do you go to Bible study? No. 
Uh, do you read your Bible? No. Uh, are you praying? No. Are you uh, listening to Christian radio? I started to get down to some fundamentals. No. Uh, well, at that point, you've got to say, duh. You're not going to feel close to God. God asks us to participate in our own salvation. The Bible says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are to throw, run, fix, and that's a lot of work. Those are all working words, every one of them. James says, what good is it if a person has faith but does not have works? I look into the mirror of the word of God. You know what it says to me? It says, Beardness, get off your butt. Get off your butt and do something good. Quit thinking about yourself. You're overly absorbed in the life of Corey Beardness, Corey Beardness. Have you heard the uh, poem, Footprints in the, sand, in the Sand? Let me read another version for you. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then the strange, some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tone, for miles I carried you all alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired and fed up to here, and there I dropped you on your rear. No, I don't believe that for a second. I don't think that you can outlast the grace of God. I think we can run away from it. I think we can escape it if we choose. I don't think God will ever drop us. But I have noticed that spiritually resilient and fit people pay special attention to the word of God. They stand in front of it. They use it as a mirror. They let it evaluate their life. They work with it as much as they can. So, I want to use one particular scripture tonight as a jumping off place uh, for us to think about spiritual exercises. For when, when the good Lord says to me, Corey, get off your butt and get some work done, I often go to this text. This text is a good iteration of my values. And I like that, that number five. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. You know, we've had so much confusion in the Christian church about faith and works. And uh, we know as God's good people that we are not saved by doing works. We've got that. Uh, and I think that uh, the author here has done such a nice job. He knows it too. He says, I'm not saying this is faith. Doing all of these good things, it's not faith. I am saying it's something different, but I want you to add to your faith these good things. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ stands alone. Nothing uh, can take its place, but God calls us to do lots and lots of good work. Let me tell you about the power of the gospel before I go through these. Uh, so uh, uh, you all know that uh, I'm a soldier, uh, and uh, uh, 10 years ago, 
Bev and I uh, got called to Fargo to move there and uh, be pastor uh, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, teacher. And so uh, I'm uh, working to get us moved. And I have been, spent all day moving, and about 11 o'clock at night, I'm traveling east on Interstate 94, pulling a 28-foot trailer that uh, earlier in the day was unloaded in our new property. And I'm speeding. In fact, I'm impressively speeding. It's 11.30 at night. I'm, I'm somewhere between 85 and 90 miles an hour pulling an, uh, a 28-foot trailer. And uh, pretty soon I look over and right next to me is a highway patrolman and I can see him. It's 11.30 at night, but I can see him. He is leaning over into the passenger seat going like this. So he's been back there a while. You know, that's what that means, is he's been back there a while. He's not in the mood. He comes up, and he's rabid. Uh, and uh, he comes up to the passenger side. I rolled down the window, and he said, give me your driver's license and registration now. So I handed him over. Very quickly did it in such a way that he also saw my military ID. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, and uh, he goes back. When he comes back, he's a different guy. He's changed completely. And he says, uh, are you Chaplain Beertness? I said, yes, I am. He said, are you Chaplain Beertness of Scania, Iraq? I said, yes, I am. And he said, do you recognize me? I said, I'm sorry, I don't recognize you. He said, uh, in uh, January of 2007, as an Air Force reservist, I was deployed to Iraq and I was doing convoy security. And just south of Scania, our convoy got hit and my best friend was killed in that IED blast. And you're the chaplain that took care of us. And I looked at him and said, I'm not going to get a ticket tonight, am I? <laughs> he said, no, chaplain. Uh, a long time ago you took care of me and now I'm going to take care of you. But then he did something interesting. He looked at me and with tears in his eyes, he said, chaplain, you are too valuable to die in a car accident. Would you please slow down? I've driven the speed limit ever since. The, the law, a thousand signs, couldn't get me to slow down. But love did. Love got me to slow down. We understand the difference between the law and the gospel, don't we? I heard the gospel in that man's voice. It was juxtaposed to the, gospel, to, 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 to the law that he also represented. We understand that. When we focus on doing the law, we're not saying that the gospel is unimportant. We're not saying that. What we're saying is we're adding to our faith. And it's not bonus points. It's just we're adding to our faith. That's it. These are important things to add. First thing that we're supposed to add uh, is goodness. St. Peter writes these words, For these very reasons, make every effort to add to you in faith goodness. Uh, goodness refers to commandments 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, that's what goodness is all about. These are the commandments that govern our relationship with others. And I think that uh, we uh, have lost track of goodness in our country. I, I think uh, we, we are pretty good at selfishness. Uh, but goodness is an, a, 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 a rapidly eroding product. But you know what? Robert Fulgham, a, a long time ago, uh, said that goodness is uh, like this. These are the things I learned. Share everything, play fair, don't hit, 
Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. You know, it's pretty simple, kind of really, isn't it? Be nice. You know what my favorite part of the summer is? The Olympics. I love the Olympics. We're kind of Olympic addicts. I stayed up until 2 o'clock in the morning watching golf last week uh, just because I couldn't, I couldn't tear myself away with it. But you know what I like most about the, the Olympics? Our athletes decided that there was something more important than winning this time. Goodness. You saw it everywhere. You saw people hugging each other. Two, ru- two runners hit the turf uh, in, in a sprint. They just stop. Arm in arm, they come in together. I think, if I remember correctly, two uh, people uh, came in with exactly the same t- uh, time, and they decided that they were both winners. Goodness needs to be something that we add to our faith. We just have to do it. Uh, knowledge is the second thing. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, but also knowledge. Spiritually fit people are lovers of knowledge, uh, and uh, they just have to uh, have that. And the, they, they stand shoulder to shoulder against closed-mindedness. Uh, one of my favorite professors at seminary was Rognus. Uh, Rognus was a good guy, good, good teacher, good professor. And one of the things that he said uh, that always stuck with me about conflicts in the church is that we decide them too quickly, we should talk about them for 100 years and then make a decision if we can. Uh, and uh, that sometimes it's the dialogue, it's the search for knowledge that's most important. And Christian resilient people, they just thirst for it. They, they want to they do crazy things like sit in a Bible study and talk about Exodus and, and sit in an e- e- evening and, and talk about spiritual resiliency. But there's a, one part of knowledge that they hold closer than anything else. And here's that knowledge. It's the tension between uh, two things. One of the things I said last night uh, is that uh, I know that I am artwork of God, but I also know there's something significantly wrong with me. That's the knowledge that we cling to most of all, that I am a great sinner, but also that I have a great redeemer. And that knowledge for spiritually resilient people, they hold that so close like, like holding a baby. They really do. Uh, it was Ben Franklin that said the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spiritually fit people, they, they get that. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is no righteousness. We'll hold that as if it is uh, an uh, oxygen hose. Uh, they look in the mirror with no shield, no makeup, no pretend. No cover, girl, you are a sinner. Beardness, you are a no good, dirty, rotten sinner. And if you want to be spiritually fit, add to your faith knowledge. Self-control and perseverance. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. Spiritually fit people practice the discipline of self-control and perseverance. Dale Carnegie said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, but it takes, uh, but it takes um, character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. Wow. Think we have any left? Self-control, that is? Let me introduce you to Musafa. 
Masafa was a 17-year-old teenager that uh, worked on our base in Iraq. He was uh, kind of a tall boy in the gym, and uh, that's what he did. Uh, and uh, he and I got to be friends because I had a 17-year-old at home, and, uh, uh, and I was missing my kids, and he was about that age. And, uh, and so we got to be friends. I asked him one day, I said, Musafa, why does uh, the world hate America so badly? And he thought for a minute. And he said, uh, you know, he said, I think we hate America so badly because you have so much and you are thankful so little. Could it be that our lack of self-control, our whining about everything, is eroding world peace? Well, I think it could be. I think it could be. Right now, I've, I, I often refer to uh, the, uh, Pastor Corey's 595 rule. And so here's what I think is happening in America, is that 5% of people on the left, they're not good people. They're not good people. They're, 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 they're just there, and they're following self with desire. And I'd also say 5% on the right. They're not good people. They're not kind. They don't exercise the fruit of the Spirit or any other uh, values. They're in it for themselves. 90 pe- 90% of the people in America, they just go to work, come home, and want to do it again. That's it. That's all they want. But you know what's wrong with America right now is we don't ever let, we don't, we don't talk to anybody who's in the 90% category. We only give microphones to the people on the far left and the people on the far right. And as they spout all of this self-interest, they're starting to normalize that. And pretty soon it's going to be 6%, and then 7%, and then 8%, and then 9%, and then chaos. And we'll have riots in the street. And we will start identifying problems that don't exist. And we will start having problems and we'll be calling up the National Guards in every city in America. And all of it is just a lack of self-control and perseverance. It's not always easy to turn the other cheek. Uh, It is not. And to do it over and over again. It's easier to let things be about self. It's easier to seek revenge. It's easier to rally all of your friends and say, this person wronged me. You certainly don't agree with them at all. It's not easy to have patience and perseverance. It just isn't. If you want to be spiritually fit, add to your faith self-control and perseverance and godliness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. And whereas goodness is how we practice the discipline of commandments 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, Godliness is about one, two, and three. How is your faith? You know, I'm going to quit asking all other questions as a Christian leader in the church. I don't want to care where you work. I don't want to. It's not my job to know where you work. It's not my job to know how many kids you have. It's not my job uh, to know what your interests are. My job is to know if your faith is okay. How is your faith in Jesus Christ? That's what I want to know. Maybe we ought to just forget some of the language we have. Maybe we get right back to Jesus into the conversation that is most important. Years ago, I was at Parker Bible Camp. I was the director. It was my first job. Uh, and uh, I decided one spring that wouldn't it be cool, uh, program directors and directors, we come up with dumb ideas. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a rope bridge across the Park River? And so one afternoon, I'm there all by myself. I've got a, about 200 feet of great big heavy barn rope, and I'm going to build a rope bridge. I'm all by myself. 
And let me tell you about the Park River. It's not deep until you fall down in it. And a rope, a barn rope is not heavy until you're laying underneath it in a river. And the moment that I went down, all of that rope went and around me. And I was trapped in the bottom of that river. And I was struggling more than I have ever struggled before. And I lost all breath. I got to the point where there was not one fleck of oxygen in me. And it was in that moment that I just surged and pushed myself to to the water line and came out gasping and got to the edge of the river and had a little worship service. That feeling when the wind has been knocked out of you or you can't breathe, God has put that within you to search for him. As a dying man searched for his last breath, so a person must seek God. That's true for every one of us. But for Christians, we seek God, not with a little bit of effort, not with a little bit of passion, but as if our life depended upon it. That's how desperately we look for God. If you want to be spiritually fit, add to your faith godliness. Let me close with brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness and love are defined uh, by a single core principle. And that single core principle is sacrifice. Uh, It is uh, uh, sacrificial. And let me illustrate what I mean by that. When I was in Iraq, uh, I was the chaplain for 11 different locations. And so I was on the road a lot. I put on 6,000 miles. And sometimes we were uh, driving through the wild, wild west. Uh, And... uh, in fact, uh, sometimes I get asked to speak as a chaplain, and uh, once in a while I'll say something that's true. Uh, I've been shot at, mortared, rocketed, IED'd, EFP'd, and targeted uh, in every possible way. But then I add to that, but if you marry a girl from Montana, you just have to expect some of that. <laughs> and, uh, but the first part of that really is true. Uh, it was the wild, wild west. There was 10 soldiers that protected me uh, everywhere that I went everywhere. Uh, and I got close to them. Uh, they, were both the, uh, they, they were young enough to be my sons, uh, but uh, uh, they were fantastic. And uh, they would say to me once in a while, one of them in particular, he'd come up and put his arm around his old chaplain and, and uh, uh, say, hey, chaplain, you know, I'd take a bullet for you. And I'd say, Sergeant Z, if you ever take a bullet for me, you better hope it kills you. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to put another round in you for being so stupid. <laughs> and we'd laugh and think that it was just the funniest thing two soldiers had ever said to each other. The greatest fear of my war was not that I would get killed. Not at all. Uh, the greatest fear of my war was that one of those young men would get killed on my behalf. I, I lost sleep over it. I was so concerned. Because I knew that they would lay down their life without question, in a heartbeat, for me. Not was, it wasn't just their job, but they took my mission as their own. When we'd go to a little radio relay point, these soldiers not only would deliver me there and the Catholic priest, but then they would guard all of the towers so that everybody on that base could get to go to chapel call. 
They were committed to me at a level that I've rarely seen in life. Their loyalty was unquestionable. Their willingness to sacrifice was unquestionable. It was beautiful. As Christians, would you lay down your life for your spouse? Would I lay down my life for Beverly? Yes, I would, without question. If an active shooter goes in there, in, in, in this place right now, uh, you guys better have the exits clearly identified because I'm not going to help you. I'm going to get Beverly out. Okay? I would lay down my life for her in a heartbeat. You know, if I'm going to lay down my life for her, well, you know, I probably should let her win an argument once in a while. Shouldn't I? Maybe, maybe I should let her win an argument once in a while. So that level of sacrifice is, is important. And these two things, brotherly kindness and love, they're about sacrifice. They are. These are exercises that Christians that are spiritually fit and resilient do. And uh, we all ought to put them into practice. And the rewards are unbelievably wonderful. Let's read these together one more time. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brother kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is far nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sin. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Uh, make us a spiritually resilient and fit people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. We pray that this podcast has been a blessing to you wherever you listen to it. 